Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. This week on Communication Mixdown, we're focusing on the issue of gender in Australia's sprawling media industries as a follow-up to International Women's Day last week. Hello, I'm Bronwyn Cran. Well, last Thursday, millions of women around the world gathered together to honour International Women's Day, including here in Melbourne. The theme for 2018 was Leave No Woman Behind, highlighting the gendered impact of natural disasters in the developing world on women and girls, who are 14 times more likely to die or be injured in the wake of a natural disaster. The issue of gender inequality seems less acute in a developed country like Australia, but it's still very real for women suffering domestic domestic violence and sexual assault and harassment. And the Australian media and entertainment sector is not immune from gender discrimination for its women workers. This week on Communication Mixdown, we're asking the question, how gender equal are the Australian media and entertainment industries? Alana Sketzer is a journalist with 10 years' experience at Fairfax Media, reporting across crime, sport, business, lifestyle, health, politics and travel. She's also a Victorian member of the Federal Council for the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, and she's a founding member of Women in Media. Welcome, Alana. Thank you very much. Alana, can we do some quick background first? What is Women in Media? When did it start? Who's it for? What does it do? So Women in Media was uh, formed in 2014 and it uh, it runs under the umbrella of the MEAA. It's a nationwide organisation. We have branches um, in most um, Australian metropolitan cities and some uh, regional areas. And we have three main uh, goals. One is to provide a mentoring program for uh, young women journalists and media workers. We also provide uh, networking opportunities so they can meet people in the industry. It is an industry where you need to know people. And we also advocate on issues such as gender uh, discrimination and harassment in the workforce and the gender pay gap. That sounds sounds great. And you produced a, a Women in Media report on gender differences in the Australian media, which was based on an online survey of about, of about 1,000 women at the end of 2015. Um, it's now two years since that data gathering was done. Can we talk about action and improvements since then? For example, the gender pay gap. The report found women workers earned about 23% less than their male colleagues. Has, has there been any action or, or improvements on that front since 2015? Look, the, the report that was done, um, that was released in 2016, it was quite a, a wide-ranging report. It looked at um, stuff that hadn't been looked at closely for quite some time. And look, unfortunately, these issues move very slowly. 
um, you know, ultimately the people who are in the positions to make really dramatic changes, such as that, you know, horrific gender pay gap, you know, it, it, it's, you've got an, an old guard, so to say, it's often older um, men, um, and it can be, look, it is a challenge. It's something that we're working on every day, but I think we're seeing um, incremental changes and we, we grab victories when we have them, and uh, but we keep moving forward as well. It's Indeed. a slow process. Indeed, it's very hard to shift shift something entrenched like the gender pay gap. I, I, I agree. Could we focus on an issue of the moment, sexual harassment? Let me quote from the report. It says, Sexual harassment is an ongoing systemic problem that remains part of work culture in media organisations in Australia today, unquote. Has anything changed since 2015? The MEA is running a current campaign, isn't it? Yes, we are, um, particularly for our equity, which is our actors um, section. Look, like other industries, sexual harassment in the workplace, in the workplace in media, is common. It's unspoken, and you know, as we've seen in, in several occasions, women who do come forward, there are plenty of reasons not to. There's a high price to be paid about having your, your reputation um, smeared. Um, being you know looked down on in the workplace, maybe denied opportunities. Um, it's still really, it's a still a really difficult area. But you know the work that Tracy Spicer, who is our national convener, is doing um, to highlight instances. I think it gives um, it, it provides a, a ripple effect to not just other women in the media, but all industries, particularly those who are not in high profile areas. Um, to speak, to come forward and to feel safe to do so. Indeed. And could we talk a bit about Tracy Spicer's work? Because I understand that she's been leading a uh, an investigation of sexual misconduct in the Australian media, but that this is a joint Fairfax-ABC uh, investigation and that it involves many, many women working in the media who are assisting her with the investigation. Is that how it's working? Yeah, sort of. So Tracy is doing this um, enormous project. It was her own initiative. It's not formally um, backed by women in media, but we do certainly support her work. There have already been two um, high-profile investigations published, um, allegations against Don Burke and actor Craig McLaughlin. Um, I I know from Tracy that they've had hundreds and hundreds of emails and um you know, calls and texts from women uh, from all industries, not just media, um, coming forward, uh, you know, talking about their experiences. So, you know, these, you know, you, you also be very careful when you're making allegations from the media. You need to be, you need to have your facts, you need to have your evidence. So these things do take time, but it's, um, it's a wonderful initiative and Tracy deserves many, many accolades for, um, this is very, hard, time-consuming work. Um, so I think it's fantastic. Indeed, it, it, it does seem very time-consuming and I think she's talked about the media industry as a protection racket for people like Don Burke. So um, oh, she's absolutely. not afraid, afraid to call the shots, that's for sure. Um, you mentioned um, in, in some of our correspondence before the show, Alana, the Time's Up uh, movement and... Um, the positive changes that have come out of that movement. Could you talk about 
about uh, some of the positive changes in the media industries coming out of Time's Up? Mm. Look, I think Time's Up has been, um, and what's happened in America with the, uh, I suppose, for the Harvey Weinstein effect is that it has, I think, helped shake a few large, stubborn rocks from their places. Um, These are really difficult issues that are entrenched in gender stereotypes and sexism and misogyny. Um, What we're talking about is changing uh, culture. And culture you can't change just by changing the law. It takes time. It's often a generational thing. So I think what it's done has really rocked this established idea that you know, sexual harassment simply doesn't happen or it only happens to a certain type of woman or this idea that if it does happen, you come, you, you speak up straight away and you report to the authorities. Um, I think it's highlighting the deeply, deeply complex issues that surround um, sexual harassment and assault. Um, and that can only be a positive thing and make it easier for us to actually stamp this out in the future. Thanks, Alana. Does, does Time's Up involve men speaking up when they say see women being sexually harassed? Have I got that right? Look, it is a women's-led initiative in, in the US, um, but by all means, men don't need to be part of an established group to speak up. I think it's, a, it, it's human decency, men and women. If you see something, um, you know, you don't have to be pushed to do something. So um, let's all support victim, victims and survivors. Terrific. Um, Could we shift focus a little bit to talk about social media harassment? Because this was um, one uh, feature of work in the media industries for women that was dealt with in the uh, Women in Media report. And the report found that 41% of in-house women journalists had been trolled. Uh, It seems that rape and death threats online are common, particularly for women who work in federal parliament as media workers. Has there been any remedial action on the social media front at all? Not that I'm aware of. Look, I don't work um, in-house um, at the moment. I'm a freelancer, but that, that's, a, that's a very good point. Look, traditionally, um, media companies have been incredibly slack um, in their responsibility to their employees, particularly their women employees, who um, we have to use social media as part of our job. It is expected Um uh, and, you know, there are certain women who are certainly targeted um, incredibly uh, viciously. So that is something that we, we can address. Um, you know, more protections and support needs to be put in place. Um, this should not be something that is just considered, it's just part of the job. Nothing about, you know, receiving a death or a rape threat should be considered part and parcel of one's uh, obligations at work. Indeed. I think the report said that 52% of women media workers didn't know if their employer had policies to deal with online harassment, which seems absolutely Mm. extraordinary as a figure, doesn't it? Absolutely. And what's also extraordinary is that, you know, uh, media companies have latched onto social media um, to, you know, for distribution, to raise awareness, to spread articles without having these policies and protections in place. So, again, um, it's been a very experimental process and it is the journalists, particularly the women, who have been left vulnerable by this. Yes, we're, I think we're looking at a bit of a policy vacuum there, aren't we, in the in the Absolutely. industry from employers. Um, I think the report said that some women have um, silenced or modified their voices online. Others have left the industry because of this online harassment. So it's uh, it's pretty serious. 
Absolutely. And I know what that's like, you know, having to, um, I suppose, censor yourself because, you know, there'll be a certain backlash or a certain individual is, um, you know, watching your feed and then threatening you, which is something that I've experienced. Um, so that has certainly um, impacted my use and, you know, contributed to my own uh, anxiety. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Look, just finally, Alana, if we could wind up now, what would you like to see? What changes would you like to see uh, in the Australian media industries for women media workers? What do you think, what what would your priorities be? Look, that's a great question. I have a whole wish list. Um, I think the first thing I want to see is some actual leadership. Um, Yes, media landscape is incredibly challenged at the moment. There are financial restrictions. Um, there are cuts, but that should not be used as an excuse, as it often is, to leave employees uh, vulnerable to um, harassment, victimisation. Um, you know, a lot of these things actually don't cost money. What they cost is people's vision and time. Um, so I like to see it really openly acknowledged that um, workplace has created a culture where men are simply valid more than women, where women are not being given opportunities for certain positions or um, senior roles because they are women or being on maternity leave. I would actually like a company to just say, look, we've made mistakes in the past. We get it. We're sorry. We're going to do things better. Um, I think it would be remarkable if that happened. Um, and I very much welcome the first media company to do that. That would be great, wouldn't it? But I guess we only get these these improvements with agitation on our own behalf. So let's hope we see more positive changes in the not-too-distant future for women media workers in Australia. We're counting on it. Yeah. Alana, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Alana Sketza is a journalist and founding member of Women in Media. Why do you reckon people should subscribe to 3CR? Because I think we have more awesome music shows than anywhere else. And they're niche and they're interesting and they're adventurous. 3CR, the perfect companion in your car on your road trip. If you're on digital, Mm. no tram interference. Mm. But if you're streaming, there's no tram interference. No, that's true. But if you like tram interference, is always the AM. The AM, old school. (laughs) Some people like the crackle on vinyl. Well, some some people like noise music. Experimental Mm -hmm, noise music. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To subscribe to 3CR, unwaged is $35. Yes. Yes. Waged? $75. And solidarity? $150. One fifty. That's pretty reasonable to help keep three CR on air. Call three CR nine four one nine eight three double seven and subscribe. Subscribe today. Subscribe now. We've heard about gender discrimination and inequality in the Australian media industry. Let's now drill down and take a look at one segment of the Australian entertainment industry, the business of making music. Our next guest is Dr Catherine Strong, Senior Lecturer in Music Industry at RMIT University in Melbourne, and she's got a special interest in the ways that gender dynamics play out in the production and promotion of Australian popular music. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi. Catherine, late last year you wrote an article in The Conversation entitled The ARIA Awards Are Still Off-Key When It Comes to Gender. 
There were a number of women winners on the night, Casey Chambers, Sia, Amy Shark. Were there simply more men winners than women? Is that what you meant by off-key? Uh, yes, on in that particular uh, award show, there were more male winners than women. Um, but I think that what we've seen in the industry is that, that uh, well, we know that across the board, women are underrepresented. Uh, there just aren't as many women being successful at making music and making money from making music. And we can see this being reflected as well in the awards that are handed out. Um, we've seen in the ARIA Awards for a long time now the, the, the rates at which women are nominated for awards and the rates at which they get awards are at about a third, although sometimes they can drop significantly under that, like 2013, for instance, was a really bad year. Um, so it's, it's led to people sort of asking questions about how decisions are made around who gets awards, how decisions are made around who gets nominated. And with the ARIA Awards in particular, it's a very opaque process. So, so we don't know who exactly votes for the awards. Some of the awards are about sales, but for the ones that are voted on, we're not entirely sure who votes for them. And we're talking about an organisation that also is quite male-dominated. So we still don't have any women on the board of ARIA. Uh, so it sort of raises questions about the extent to which it might still be a bit of a blokey culture. Indeed, Catherine. And gee, I wonder who is voting for the awards can we talk about the nominations? Um, there are 18 categories of award where artists and bands can be nominated. You wrote in your article that, quote, the nominations reveal where women can, can participate and where their contribution is valued, unquote. Can you explain what you meant by that? Yes. So what we have seen in breakdowns of who participates in what section of the music industry is that there are still very much divides around genre. So it's, it's been true for a very long time that women have found it more easy to break into areas of the music industry that are things like pop or folk uh, because there are certain types of music that it's seen, more, uh, that it's, it's seen as more acceptable for women to play. So, so having a, a woman sort of play a nice gentle acoustic guitar and sing a nice love song um, is, is far less threatening and it's, it's something that they, they can get into much more easily than playing an electric guitar and getting up and, and, and sort of screaming on stage. So there have been these very definite gender lines of, about which types of music women have been um, able to play. I mean, and I'm not saying that there have been... Obviously, there are women who've gotten up and screamed and played electric guitars. It's just about where more barriers have been put in their way and, and we've seen less representation in, in certain places. Um, and this is certainly reflected in the awards. So this is where, with awards, um, it's never... I mean, for all that I just said, that you know there, there might still be a bit of a blokey culture at ARIA, um, the awards still do reflect the places that people go out and play music in the first place. So we still do have more women participating in pop um, and a lot more men making rock records, and, and that does play out in who gets nominated in those categories. Yes, that's interesting, isn't it? So I think there were some categories where there were no nominations at all for women. I must admit I was absolutely shocked by that. Um, do you think this is because women artists work in some categories is seen as not good enough or are they simply absent? So uh, you mentioned rock uh, and, uh, in, and we could put heavy metal with that or dance music, for example. Yes, dance music is one of the places where women are still having a really hard time uh, finding success. 
Um, in particular, things like um, DJing is something that's still very overwhelmingly dominated by men. Uh, and when we look at the lineups of festivals, so there has been a lot of discussion lately about festival lineups and the fact that they are overwhelmingly still male. Um, but the worst category for festivals is still dance music festivals. So we're seeing not a lot of shifting happening in that particular space. Um, and, and a lot of people sort of pointed out that part of the issue with dance is that women, girls um, and women are still not encouraged uh, to engage with technology in the same way that boys and men are. It's still very much like technology is still gendered as a male, uh, masculine space. Um, and because dance music is seen as being the, the music that's most connected to technology, there there is something going on there in terms of, um, again, societal expectations about what men and women should be doing. So these very gendered, gendered and binary ideas um, about uh, how people should be going about living their lives at a really basic level. It seems incredible in this day and age, doesn't it? It's just amazing. I, I think there's been, I saw a, a YouTube clip YouTube clip recently of a young women's band at the Falls Festival who got up and called out the fact that um, women weren't being booked as festivals. Could do you, Do you know about this? Yes, Camp Cope is the name of the band. Yeah. Um, and they are a really fantastic uh, band uh, of young women who have been being very active in this area. So, I mean, for all that I've just said a whole bunch of things about sort of women being excluded, and, um, and I should add as well that not just women, but people who don't fit neatly into either the category of men or women, so, so non-gender conforming people. Um, for all I've said that, that there are all these sort of exclusions going on, there are at the same time a lot of really positive things happening in terms of bands like Camp Cope, um, organisations um, that, are, that are very active in this area, uh, promoting, uh, getting women and queer people, gender non-conforming people up on stage, putting out their records, putting out their albums. Um, and calling attention to this issue. So that's what Cam Cope is doing really brilliantly, is they're, they're standing up and they're making a really big noise and making people pay attention and, and holding up the figures and holding up uh, the, the problems that they've encountered and, and saying really loudly, look, we actually have to fix this. It's great, isn't it? Is, is there anybody, any other bands doing that too or are they sort of leading the charge? Um, there's been quite a bit of noise happening around this in, I think, local scenes for, for the last sort of four or five years. Uh, so in Melbourne, um, there are certainly artists like Evelyn Morris um, and uh, other bands um, like Huntley, uh, who's, who's, uh, the people in those bands have been uh, very, very big in activist spaces. They've been doing a lot of these things that I've just been talking about um, and just flying the flag and saying, you know, keeping the conversation going and making the conversation louder than it has been before. That's great. So we've got some momentum going. Can I just finally say, Catherine, you you also pointed out in your conversation article that only a third of performers at the 27 Arias were women. So it certainly seems that gender representation is a problem at the Arias, if not in the entire Australian music industry. Do you have any ideas for how the industry can address this problem? I think there have been some positive moves um, from APRA and other yes. bodies. Yes. Um, so that's one of the other thing that's been, that things that's been great is that we have seen uh, some of the key organisations in Australian music responding and trying to do something about this. So APRA, as you say, uh, they've introduced a whole new set of gender initiatives, so that involves things like uh, mentorship programs that are focused on women and gender, non-conforming people. They have 
uh, started to ask questions about things like how voting processes happen with APRA awards, uh, who is on their voting panels, um, and also uh, APRA and also organisations like Music Victoria have started to do things like put in quotas for, say, their boards. So a 40-40-20 split on boards, which means, you know, 40% men, 40% women, 20% that sort of can either be people who aren't in either of those categories or can fall into either of those categories. So um, starting to do really concrete things like that, things that are measurable, things that you can go back to and say, right, that was a very definite thing that was done there, and then ask questions about whether or not it worked. Um, and that really seems to be the way forward rather than sort of vague comments about, oh, look, we need to fix things. Um, and I think it's really important that these organisations are stepping up and, and making these very clear statements uh, that they think something could be done. I mean, in terms of the ARIA awards, it would be very easy to just have a 50-50 split of performance on the night. And it's not as though Australia is lacking in the level of talent in female performers that that, that, that would not still make the most amazing show. Thank you. And would that be so hard, Catherine, for a 50-50 split? But then I guess when we're talking about their board and their voting processes in ARIA, we're talking about something else, aren't we? We are, yeah. Mm. Catherine, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Catherine Strong is a senior lecturer in music industry at RMIT University and a researcher on gender in Australian popular music. That's it for Communication this Mixdown this week. Thanks to our guest, guests Solana Schetzer and Catherine Strong and links to the relevant report and article mentioned in today's interviews will be on the 3CR communication website to, along with a podcast of the show. We're here next Thursday and now here's Australia's own Chrissy Amphlett and the Divinals with Boys in Town. Mm-hmm.